It just turns out we're going to have a really cool day today because we're getting to come to the service and we're getting to worship the Lord and we're going to talk a little bit about um, planning. You know, it's January or will be in a couple of days. The word January is a a word that uh, was uh, used by the Romans and it actually means a door or window in which you can look both backward and forward. So when you think about that, it's very appropriate that around January every year we think about planning we look back at the year that's that we've had and we think about what could I've done better and we plan to do that as we move forward and I want to talk about that a little bit this morning a couple of points that we want to try to talk about this morning is one a sense of urgency and then two is maybe getting our hearts and our minds right from a righteousness standpoint to better be able to prepare for next year so I've entitled the sermon of the morning, wake up. And it comes from Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. It says this, And do this, knowing the time, that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So there's a couple of things that I wanted to point out there to you this morning. Number one, it says, it is high time and the day is at hand. That is a sense of urgency. That is saying that the day that Jesus is going to come back is closer today than it's ever been before. It's at hand. He will come back. I was visiting with Sister Iva a couple of Sundays ago, and she didn't, she didn't make it, uh, I'm assuming because of the ice this morning, so I didn't ask her permission to use this, but um, she said, you know, Yancey, she said, I hope I die before Jesus comes back. And I thought for a minute, I said, well, why is that, Sister Iva? She said, because I want to see what paradise looks like. I'm like, oh, that's pretty. She said, I want to know, if, I want to see if Jesus is there. I said, well, that's all pretty interesting um, because, you know, the Bible tells us that this earth and the, the paradise and all that's going to be burned up at the, uh, at the end. And, uh, but I thought to myself after that, I was, you know, Jesus was in paradise. He talks about that on the cross, right? He says, uh, he tells one of the thieves, tonight you'll be with me in paradise. But he also rose from that grave. He rose from that area and now sits on the right hand of of God on high. Now, whether he goes by and visits uh, all the souls in paradise, I don't know. But I just thought Sister Iva's thinking on that was pretty unique. I had never thought about wanting to die before or after Jesus came. I always just worry about whether I'll be right when that event happens, right? And so this morning, I wanted to talk about this sense of urgency. I wanted to talk about, as we look into 2018, about getting our minds right and our lives right and being prepared because it is high time and the day is at hand. We don't know if he's going to come back tomorrow, this afternoon, in a few minutes, or another thousand years from now. But it shouldn't make us any difference. It is high time. Now is the time. Our sense of urgency should be that we are preparing every day for that event. That we have our minds right and our hearts right and our life in the right position 
for Jesus to come back. It also says because of that, that's what therefore is therefore, cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, walk properly as in the day. As in the day he comes back, you want to be walk, walking properly. So a little illustration. So um, Michael and Ty are on the side of the road. Y'all probably heard this before. Michael and Ty are on the side of the road and they're holding up a sign that says, the end is near, turn around before it's too late. A little sense of urgency. And some fellows come by in a car and one of them's pumping his fist out the window, leave us alone, you religious fanatics. Followed by, as they go around the curve, the screech of the tires and a big splash. And Ty turns to Michael and says, should we just change our sign to bridge out? There's a finality coming. The bridge is out ahead. Just let me let you know that. The bridge is out ahead. We don't know when the bridge is going out, but it will go out ahead of us. The road's going to end. Time is going to end as we understand it. And so from a planning perspective, as we look into the next year, what do we need to change in ourselves what do we need to plan to do to be prepared when we go around that corner and the bridge is out? To heed the sign that Michael and Ty were putting up that the end is near. Turn around before it's too late. <clears throat> so what do you think the worst sin is? And I know we categorize sin. God doesn't typically categorize sin. He hates all sin. He can't be in the presence of any sin, so it doesn't matter to him how big or small it is. But we tend to categorize it depending on whether it affected other people, depending on how, how bad we think it is. So I've listed some on the board here. Idolatry. Obviously that one's bad, right? It's one of the original commandments that you should have no other gods before him. Unforgiving. Yeah, I, I, I worry about this one sometimes because sometimes we are not a forgiving people and the Bible tells us if we're not willing to forgive others he, he's going to forgive us in the same way there's parables about it there's direct teaching about it it's in the Lord's prayer forgive me of my debts as I forgive my debtors so if we're not willing to forgive our neighbors and our friends so that one's pretty bad if we're, if we're unforgiving arrogance blasphemy of the Holy Spirit right that one's got to come to mind because it says that sin can't be forgiven it's the one sin that can't be forgiven. Pride, adultery, violence, murder. All these are terrible things. Ignoring the needs of others. You know, that's, one of, that's the second great command. Love the, you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Lying, not sharing the gospel. Maybe with even people you love sometimes. Not sharing the gospel. It's like, man, this is mine. <laughs> I'm going to heaven, but... You know, if hopefully somebody else will tell you about it. It makes no sense. We ought to be willing to talk to anybody about the gospel and what that means. But I got one that I think, I don't know if it rises above all others because they're all bad, but this one I think affects us in our thinking and potentially in our preparation and our planning. And that's the sin of self-righteousness. The Bible talks a lot about this sin. And 
uh, let me read a passage to you out of Isaiah, and then we'll talk a little bit about Jesus' reaction to this concept of self-righteousness. In Isaiah, it says, I helped people who had not come to me for advice. Those who found me were not looking for me. I spoke to a nation that does not use my name. I said, here I am, here I am. All day long I stood ready to accept those who turned against me. But they kept doing whatever they wanted to do. And all they did was wrong. They kept doing things right in front of me that make me angry. They offered sacrifices and burnt incense in their special gardens. They sit among the graves waiting to get messages from the dead. They eat meat of pigs and their pots are full of soup made from unclean meat. But they tell others, don't come near me, don't touch me because I am holy. They are like smoke in my eyes and their fire burns all the time. So these people... Were, they were doing it their way. You know, it's like there used to be a slogan about do it your way or something like that. But th these people were doing it their way, not God's way. It says they're incense and special gardens and all this. He said they're doing it their way. They're saying, hey, I'm holy. I'm holy. Don't touch me. I'm holy. That's the epitome of self-righteousness. When you think you can do it your own way, when you can make it on your own, I told somebody in Sherman last week, I was speaking there, and um, I told them I thought I might talk on this. I said, you know, when I moved to Louisville, the Lord didn't even know my forwarding address. That's, that's, that's on me, right? I didn't go to, my, to the Lord in prayer, and I didn't spend a lot of time in prayer going, hey, is it, is it right to uproot my family and move to Louisville? And I didn't, you know... I could do that. I could do that on my own, right? I could make that decision. I can, I, I, I. And so this, this concept of self-righteousness creeps in. It's prevalent particularly in the United States, and I think it creeps into the church. So think about um, the world. Think about God creating the world. Think about from his perspective what has gone on so he creates he makes a creation man and woman he puts them in a garden perfect everything's perfect gives them one command don't eat of the tree they break it but he had an idea that was coming because from all from all along he knew that he was going to have to send his son but he develops a law and he puts that law in front of his people Ten Commandments plus, you know, hundreds of other rights and wrongs. And he puts that law in front of them and they continue to break it and they break it and they break it and they break it. And finally, he sends his son, which he knew he was going to have to do all along, once and for all, for the sins of the past, the sins of the future, the sins of the present. He's going to go to the cross and bear those sins. So when you think about that, what is it that you really think you can do to earn your salvation? What, what, what is it? I mean, they gave the law, and what did the law do? The law proved you couldn't do it yourself. Because they just follow these simple commands. He gave Adam and Eve one, they couldn't follow it. And then he gives ten, and you say, well, I, you know, I, I haven't committed murder. Well, okay, it's one of the ten but have you ever had a little bit of hate in your heart? Because Jesus says, 
That's the same thing. So the law proved to us that we couldn't do it. We're going to spend some time in Galatians chapter 3. You might turn there. We're going to, we're going to read and study that, that entire chapter. But what happened is that law produced people that thought they could do a pretty good job at it. it produced the Pharisees, right? And the Pharisees would, you know, beat their chest and go, man, I'm thankful I'm not like that guy over there. Man, I do my alms. I do everything I'm supposed to do. It produced these Pharisees that um, thought that they were pretty good at keeping the law. And how did Jesus respond to them? And this is why I think this is one of the sins that he hates the most. How did he respond to the Pharisees? Well, here's how he responded to them. In Matthew 23, he says they're blind guides. So think of a guide that's trying to take you around. A guide dog. I got a guide dog, but the, dog, the dog's blind. What, what good's that? He said they're fools. He said they're white sepulchers full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanliness. He said they're serpents. They're a generation of vipers. They're hypocrites. They love the front seats in the synagogue. They want to sit right up front and be noticed by everybody. They're graves which appear not. They're murderers, extortioners, full of excess. All of these words were used by Jesus, sometimes I think in some pretty stern conversations with them about their self-righteousness. It was all about them thinking they were better. They spend the whole Gospels, all of them, trying to catch Jesus in the very laws that He created because they thought they were smarter than He was. They were pretty full of themselves. They were pretty full of self-righteousness. So look in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, this is verses 1 through 5, it says, You people in Galatia are so foolish. Why do I say this? Because I told you very clearly about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. But now it seems as though you have let someone use their magical powers to make you forget. The King James Version uses someone has bewitched you. Similar, similar words. To make you forget. Tell me this one thing. How did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit by following the law? No. You received the Spirit because you heard the message about Jesus and believed it. You began your life in Christ with the Spirit. Now do you try to complete it by your own power? So he said, hey, you received Jesus. You received the Holy Spirit. You believed. And later in this chapter, it'll talk about you were baptized. And now are you trying to, you're add, trying to add on to that the, the works of the old law? He said, That's, that, doesn't, that doesn't work. He says, that is, that is foolish. You've, had, you've experienced many things. Were all those experiences wasted? I hope they were not wasted. Does, does God give you the Spirit because you follow the law? Does God work miracles among you because you follow the law? No. God gave you His Spirit and works miracles among you because you heard the message about Jesus Christ and believed it. So this concept that the Galatian brothers were struggling with was they were trying to mix these works and this old law and doing that perfectly with the new, this new law of Jesus and freedom and grace and mercy. And they were getting confused as to what they needed to do. So was it by faith or by works of the law? That's what uh, the, uh, the apostle is writing to us about here. 
He goes on, and this is in verses 6. It says, The Scriptures say the same thing about Abraham. Abraham believed God, and because of his faith, he was accepted as one who is right with God. So you should know that the true children of Abraham are those who have faith. The Scriptures told that would happen in the future. These writings said that God would make the non-Jewish people right through their faith. God told this good news to Abraham before it happened. God said to Abraham, I will use you to bless all the people of the earth. Abraham believed this, and because he believed, he was blessed. All people who believe are blessed the same as Abraham was. So we know the story of Abraham, right? And he, was, he had great faith, the faith that allowed him to offer his only son, Isaac. Faith to climb the mountain with his son to take his life. He had great faith in the Lord. And he said, because you have faith, I am going to bless the whole world through you. I'm going to bless the whole world. And that's important because we're going to talk about that a little bit more in this chapter uh, as we go forward. The righteous shall live by faith, but people who depend on following the law to make them right are under a curse. Under a curse. As the scripture says, they must do everything that is written in the law. If they do not always obey, they are under a curse. So that's a quote out of the Old Testament. So it is clear that no one can be right, can be made right with God by the law. The scripture says the one who is right with God by faith will live forever. The law does not depend on faith. No, it says that the only way a person will find life by the law is to obey its commands. So you've got to obey every command. That's the only way you find life through the law. And and we know that's not possible. The law says we are under a curse for not always obeying it. But Christ took away the curse. He changed places with us and put himself under that curse. The scriptures say anyone who is hung on a tree is under a curse. Because of what Jesus Christ did, the blessing God promised to Abraham was given to all people. Christ died so that by blessing, by, by believing in him, we could have the spirit that God promised. So notice a couple of things. It is clear that no one can be made right with God by the law. And then because of what Jesus Christ did, the blessing God promised to Abraham was given to all people. So it's going to talk a little bit more about this descendant, Jesus Christ, here in a moment. But through Jesus Christ, the law was done away with, and through him, the whole world has been blessed. Remember, it said in the earlier scripture, in the other earlier verses here, that that was a promise that was given to Abraham because of his faith. Because of his faith, the whole world was going to be blessed. Now it's saying, if we have faith in Jesus, we can receive the same blessing that that Abraham did. So this is the fulfillment of that great promise. But notice in here, there's nothing that we're doing. There's nothing in we're doing. We're, we're believing on Jesus Christ and accepting him and being baptized. We're, we're obeying what he wants us to do, right? But we're not earning anything. It's not because of our works. It's not because we're doing some marvelous thing. It's not because of our works. Going on in uh, verse number 15. Brothers and sisters, let me give you an example from everyday life. 
Think about an agreement that one person makes with another. After that agreement is made official, no one can stop it or add anything to it, and no one can ignore it. God made promises to Abraham and his descendant, capital D, singular. The scripture does not say, and to your descendants. That would mean many people, but it says, and to your descendant. That means only one, and that one is Christ. So Christ is the one that the one descendant of Abraham that was promised that was going to come to deliver us to allow us to be blessed like Abraham was through his faith. Hopefully that makes sense to everybody. <clears throat> it says um, this means only one and that is Christ. This is what I mean. The agreement that God gave to Abraham was made official long before the law came. The law came 430 years later. So the law could not take away the agreement and change God's promise. So it's saying, God made a promise to Abraham that through his descendants all were going to be blessed. Then the, then the law came along. Well, the law can't take away the fact that he promised Abraham that through his descendants all are going to be blessed. The law is an intermediate, and it'll talk about that in a minute. The Old Testament calls it a schoolmaster. But it's, it's, got, it's got its own purpose, but its purpose was not to save us. Its purpose was not to take away our sins. Can following the law give the blessing God promised? If we could receive it by following the law, then it would not be God's promise that brings it to us. But God freely gave his blessing to Abraham through the promise that God made. So, what a, so the agreement that God gave Abraham was made official long before the law came. And the law couldn't take that agreement away. So what was the law for? If it wasn't for this, then why did we have the law? Why do we have all these commandments? Why did he bring it? Well, it's going to answer that for us. So what was the law for? The law was given to show the wrong things people do. The law would continue until the special descendant of Abraham came. This is the descendant mentioned in the promise, which came directly from God. But the law was given through angels, and the angels used Moses as a mediator to give the law to the people. But when God gave the promise, there was no mediator, because a mediator is not needed when there is only one side and God is one. Does this mean that the law works against God's promise? Of course not. The law was never God's way of giving new life to people. If it were, then we could be made right with God by following the law, but this is not possible. The scriptures put the whole world in prison under the control of sin, the scriptures being this old law, so that the only way for people to get what God promised would be through faith in Jesus Christ. It is given to those who believe in him. So he puts this law, and this law creates all of these rules. The purpose of that law was to prove to us that by our works, we don't stand a chance. We cannot keep the law. If we could keep the law perfectly, then we would not have needed the promise. We would not have needed Jesus Christ to come. We would not have needed that one singular descendant of Abraham's if we could have kept the law. But we couldn't. And it was clear. That's its purpose. Its purpose was to clearly define that you cannot earn your own salvation on your own you gotta have the descendant 
you've got to have Jesus in the middle. He is the only way your sins get covered and blotted out so you appear as the spotless lamb to his father in judgment. That's the only way this works. You can't go back and get some old law and say, well, I'm pretty good at those Ten Commandments. I hadn't murdered, hadn't committed adultery. I'm pretty good as the Pharisees were doing because what did he say about them? Man, y'all are missing the point. Your white sepulchre is full of dead men's bones. Your vipers, your serpents, you're missing your your way off. <clears throat> so that's what the law was for. Before this faith came, the law held us as prisoners. We had no freedom until God showed us the way of faith that was coming. I mean, the law was the guardian in charge of us until Christ came. After He came, we could be made right with God through faith. Thank goodness for that. Now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law to be our guardian. We were all baptized into Christ, and so you were all clothed with Christ. This shows that you are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in Christ, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or Greek or slave or free, male or female. You are all the same in Christ Jesus. You belong to Christ. So you are Abraham's descendants. Plural, little d. You get all of God's blessings because of the promise that God made to Abraham. So when you accept Christ, you become His. You become Christ's descendants, which by reference makes you Abraham's descendants, which by reference means that's the way God chose to bless the whole world. That was His promised fulfillment to um, Abraham, that through his seed all the nations are going to be blessed. We're those nations that are being blessed today through Abraham's seed and through his faith and through the promise and through Jesus that came and died for us. The law held us as prisoners and Christ is the only way out of that prison. So what now? That was a that was a lot of background to try to convince us hopefully that this isn't about what I do. So in 2018 when you're making your plans I, the, the encouragement of the sermon here is to take a little bit of the eye out and put a little bit of the Jesus in, right? So we are successful. We are whatever we are today because of our relationship with Christ, or that's the way it needs to be. So when we're thinking about the word genua, which is what January came from, which means, again, the ability to look both forward and backwards through a door or a window. I want you to first have some urgency. It's high time. So that's the purpose. That's the purpose of the first part of the lesson was to convince us that don't put this off another year. Don't put this off another day. Don't put this off another hour. Get ourselves right with Christ. Get ourselves covered with those blessings so that we, uh, we have that same inheritance that it's high time to wake out of sleep. That same inheritance that Jesus, um, or that Abraham was, Abraham's descendants were promised through Jesus. So looking forward, 
Um, this is this is a template I use. You don't have to use it, but when I look forward into um, a new year, it's what I it's what not I I didn't come up with it. It's called the seven F's. So when you're looking forward into next year, when you think about family, fitness, function, which is your job, fun, financial, friends, and your faith, what are what are you going to do next year? How are you going to, what, what are your goals in those areas, in the areas of the seven Fs? Get a sense of urgency about developing a plan. And I'm talking to you primarily today about your faith, but it, 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 occur, it means the same thing for all of those. Have a sense of urgency and put God in the plans and the decision making. Pray to him, ask him, make your plans based on what you think he would want, not what you want. Right? Don't make this about me and my plans and my self-righteousness and my powers and my decisions because we don't really have any. If we've got some money today, God gave it to us. If we've got a family today, God gave it to us. If we've got kids today, God gave them to us. Children are inheritance of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. Psalms 127. Whatever you've got today, you got nice electronic gadgets, I do. God gave them to you. You didn't earn them. Yeah, you went out and worked and some guy gave you some money and you went to store and you bought them, but that's not what I mean by earned them. God gave you the breath to do that. He can take that away instantaneously. And then what does all that matter? What does all that matter? So when we're planning for next year, wake up. Wake up, it's high time um, to awake out of sleep. Think about this self-righteousness concept. And that was, that was I'll tell you, that was really for me. That, that's something that I've been thinking about for me. That's why I said it has crept into the church. I don't know your hearts and your minds, and I don't know how much you rely on yourself versus how much you rely on God in your life. I, I don't know that. I can't answer that for you. But I can tell you, if you're relying on self for your righteousness, you're, 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 you're going the wrong direction. You've got to open up to Christ and accept Him as your Savior and recognize that He is the only thing that can save you. Doesn't matter how good you are. Mom, mom told me about um, a funeral that she and her mother had gone to and she told me this 25 years ago so she may not even remember telling me she told me about a church of christ funeral she went to and um some lady at the graveside made the comment that the person in the box was going to hell because they weren't church of christ that's self-righteous brother <laughs> that's beating the chest and going we're the only ones going to heaven and everybody else is doomed and I think that's pretty bold, and I think that's pretty self-righteous. Sounds a whole lot like a Pharisee to me. I don't know the answer to those questions, and I think anybody that professes to is self-righteous. There are things in the Bible that we know we have to do and things that we need to do and all of those kind of things, and there are things we can teach against that the Bible teaches against, but when we start judging people for Christ, that's self-righteous. That's self-righteous. So we're going to offer an invitation this morning. Uh, I just I wanted to bring this for, for in front of you as we're planning next year um, to maybe help you and to definitely help me 
get my heart right as I think about, even in my business, right, when I'm thinking about growing a business. If I'm thinking about growing that business without God's blessings on that and without Him in my life and without Him helping me make those decisions, then it's, it's not right. It's, it's got to be, God has got to be the center. It can't be self. You know, we're a, we're a country, we're a, we're a population that wants a hero. And we want to be the hero. You're not the hero in the story. Jesus Christ is the hero. You're not the hero. You can't be the hero and get there. If you want to be the hero, you're going to be a zero. Jesus Christ is the only hero in this story. He's the only one that can be. He gave his life to be. As we stand and sing the song that was selected.